Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It is June 9th. We are headed into the relaxing season of politics where <laughs> nothing happens and there's nothing to talk about except for uh, the except unprecedented... For? Wow. Uh, I know everything's unprecedented. I feel like I've said that word more in the last couple of years. Maybe than I have it's forever. historic. Historic. Uh, yes. Yeah, so we've got a lot going on. If you're hearing a new voice, oh, it's not new. It's State Auditor John Dougal and Mara Carabello uh, from the Exoro Group. Thanks for being here. Good to be here. Always um, a pleasure. Greg Hughes can't hang out with us anymore because he, he has decided He's to run and declared run himself. for an no office. No more Citizen Hughes. No yeah. more Citizen Hughes. So we're going to get to that in just a minute because we have so much to talk about with a special election. We've got a congressional race that is now officially underway here in Utah. But we have to start with the fact that just a couple hours ago, officially, uh, former President Donald Trump was indicted in Miami, and he will be showing up in court on Tuesday I feel like we should probably be feeling shocked and, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. But it's I don't know how to describe it, but it just sort of feels like another day of news to me, which is probably not a good thing to be feeling like that at this point, because uh, we don't usually have presidents who are indicted. My understanding of the new charges that were handed up from Especially the Especially indicted by the federal government. Yeah, by the federal government. 49-page indictment. It is long. I have not read through the whole thing. Have any of you guys read through it? Have they released it yet? Yes. Yeah, it's got yes. released. Okay. Yeah, it's been released. Uh, I, 37 I w- charges, 49 pages. And, um, yeah, so there's a lot to go through. And everyone's sending out their press releases of bad Trump or bad Good. government. So yeah. the interesting thing is to see how this all shakes out. And I don't think any of us know where it's going. So that's why we have to be here with the great minds of Utah discussing the issues. Trump's so interesting because he is the exception. I was going to say to every political rule, but he's really the exception from my perspective to most of the Republican Party rules. You know, he's just sort of not... Usually the Republicans don't have a, as many I mean, sort of overt character violations. He really is an exception to the card. rule. So it's always hard to predict what will happen. Much like you said in the setup, like... Could you imagine where we would be creating this false scenario where uh, a candidate who had been the president and is now currently running and has been, you'd just be like, that is ridiculous that someone would have that many accusations. And yet, no doubt he will successfully defend himself with those diehard supporters who it doesn't matter what he does. John started to say this. Professionalized victimhood. Yes. And, you know, this does distinguish itself. It comes from the Department of Justice. It comes from the federal government. And it comes from a special counsel, a special counsel who was well vetted and does have some impartiality about it. The other interesting twist, I think, that will, a twist from a 
how do you spin it point of view is that the early assignment of the judge appears. Now, this may not be the judge that stays the whole time, but the Tuesday judge is a judge that was appointed by Trump and has in the past been accused, and I'm going to say it that way, because, but, but branded as someone who maybe has a pro-Trump point of view. Or has ruled favorably to him. Right. Yeah. Right. And another interesting twist that comes with this is I think it holds more gravity because it is coming from the federal government, from the Department of Justice. But at the same time, I wonder if it doesn't hold the same gravity as it would a couple of years ago because there have been so many accusations in the last couple of years about whether there is um, blind justice or justice for all, as we say in the pledges, Pledge of Allegiance, where the Department of Justice or any of our um, federal law enforcement agencies don't take sides. And unfortunately, we've seen that there have been some problems over the last couple of years, which I think sort of changes how people look at this too. And that sort of makes the political divide of people saying, you know what, this is just another way to tear down uh, the president so that he can't run or he can't win. Uh, President Trump, well, meanwhile, obviously using this as the new stump speech and the fundraising email. Oh yeah. And he's going to play it to the hilt. But you know, this is, some are going to say this is the deep state yet again, weighing in you know, throwing mud at him, trying to tear him down when he's running for election. But he has admitted to having classified documents. I mean, he made the claim that he could just, you know, basically think they're unclassified and therefore yeah. they are, um, given some of the quotes that are in the indictment that are released. I mean, we've got things in here that are alleging willful retention of national defense information, conspiracy, false statements, and obstruction. You know, there's a couple of cases where they talk about him sharing classified information with folks that are not authorized to receive it. There were two um, people. Did they name who the two people were that they say that he spoke to about it? Well, they talk about a reporter and a publisher and two staff members, and he was sharing with them a secret attack plan. So this isn't mild stuff. To me, this sounds pretty serious in terms of classified. And then he shared an, with an associate a classified map related to a military operation. You know, I, I come from the perspective of when you sign up to handle classified material, Extra penalties come with that. There's a seriousness that needs to come with it. Clearly, from my perspective, it sounds like early on, Trump did not take that as seriously as he should. And now we have this indictment, and we'll have to see how this plays out. But we've got allegations where, where President Biden had classified information in his garage, and Mike Pence had some classified information in his office, and on and on. And we know the whole issue with Hillary and classified information. And it's like, if you're the low-level government employee handling classified, they're going to throw the book at you. What's going on with these guys at the top level? Where is their seriousness when it comes to this information? So, Mara, does this mean that we are going to see charges possibly for other people like President Biden? We heard recently that um, Mike Pence, former vice president, wouldn't be charged for the documents found in his possession. And we all obviously know about Hillary Clinton. And I would have to assume at other points there are other people who have classified documents at this point, too. Or are Trump's um, accusations vastly different than what we're seeing for the others. I mean, you alluded to this, and I think it's so true. Human nature is that if you did it and I did it and John did it twice, hey, you've got to view me from those. He did it twice. I only did it once. Justice at its best is case by case. It doesn't, it doesn't have a call and response to the accusations against you are not the accusations against me. So I, I think it's, it's well served to take heed to take them one at a time. And let them all stand on the merit. Um, I think I think it is worthy to say, really, all of you guys had classified information. The differentiator. And this wasn't classified. This was marked classified. Right. I mean, it wasn't right. just kind of oops. I wrote now, down. No, I mean, down. I think there's a notable difference in that the reason that 
um, you saw justice go into Mar-a-Lago was a refusal to cooperate, where in every other instance, the notifier was, in fact, the higher person, the, the person who had served in the higher office, who notified, you know, in, in Pence's position, also in Biden's position, they notified and said, hey, listen, we, as we were cleaning out our things, Trump's scenario. And that scenario, may have been because they knew that they had to, because if they were looking through Trump as carefully, it seemed to me that I mean, they, that's, all, that's, they all kind of looked and were like, oh, shoot, what do I have? I think that's an easy story to tell about that, but yeah. I don't know that that's true. I don't know that that's where the facts. Yeah, we would And know. we're in justice, so it'll be facts. One of the things I am struck by is the conversation I think is a germane discussion about a sitting or former president in all instances, and I'll throw a vice president in. Um, but I, I think, you know, a lot of the victimizing that Trump has been selling is a little bit, it's, it's beyond your purview and none of your business. This is firmly the business, I think, of people to ex- have an expectation that those who hold the keys to going to war and controversy and diplomacy are held to a higher standard. So I think he I think he should be scrutinized heavily within this. They're not making a tremendous defense um, so far in terms of public, I think. The other thing that strikes me against his repeated drumbeat of being a victim is let's not forget he's the one who broke this story. So and and he's About the, the one indictment? Yeah, yeah. And and he fundraised within five minutes of the indictment. So I don't know if this was the worst thing that had ever happened to me. I don't know that I would be calculated as to have it be an opportunity in which I would break the news. Yeah, it's an it, it's definitely interesting. Or maybe it's like when kids are making fun of you. If you make fun of yourself first, they don't. Or you break the news yourself. I don't know. It's it's interesting. I mean, it'd be interesting to get into his head and why he does all of this. The question now is if you watch court cases, they can take years sometimes, and the wheels of justice turn very slowly. So the question is, very, can, very, this, very slowly. can this happen fast enough that he can continue running? Because my understanding is that these new charges would make it so that he would not be able to hold the office of president. You can have a felony and be found right. guilty and still be president, but these charges, my understanding, is they're different. So... The question is, can it play out fast enough that he can keep running? And it makes you question how the rest of the race is going to play out because there's a lot of other people getting in. Do they um, talk nice about Trump? Do they talk against Trump? We heard Chris Christie um, announced this week, and he definitely came out beating the drum of anti-Trump. And the question is, can we hear from Republicans where they come out on their own merits, they campaign on what they're going to do, or does the entire conversation now for the next year and a half revolve around President Trump? I don't know. I think the conversation was always going to revolve a little bit around Trump, and it's so interesting how people are using Trump. You see DeSantis wanting to take at the same theories that this is an attack, and yet he he doesn't really take on Trump very he much. He toes a line. And Christie is no-holds-barred Trump stinks all the time, any place, anywhere. You see Pence also trying to split it a little because he was a part of the administration. So yeah, Pence wants to claim... What, the part that was good that he was involved in and point out the problems. Yeah. That's right. So, I mean, Trump is at the end. The one thing I think I feel a degree of confidence is saying is that Donald Trump's not going to get out of this race on his own. And so I think he's going to be a factor the whole time. I think, you know, in looking back, particularly at the Russia investigations, I can see where he would lay claim to saying, hey, that dialogue was a political dialogue that was unfair. I will see. I don't think he can say, oh, my gosh, how could you be talking about this? 
um, during the election because this is the consequence of his own actions that happened when he was in office and right after he was out of office. So I think this is a bet of his own making. The simple fact is is there is a 25, 30% of the Republican Party that is going to believe Donald Trump no matter what. He can do no right. wrong, or if it's wrong, it was somebody else's fault. Right. And so, therefore, he is going to ride that for as far as he can go. And no, Heidi, unfortunately, this is not going to be resolved in the next year and a half. So this, I think, will take several years to work its way through. So can you run and win as a president and then have to go to court when you're a president? That's the question. That is a question. In the that past, the things question. have been kind of put on hold for those you know, type of dynamics. And I have to ask the Republican Party. Like, you have a group of candidates who are qualified. By and large, they hold the same domestic and foreign policy positions. You know, I, I mean, there's, there's nuances better, to them. Better positions. Why don't you go with the guy who's not being indicted? Like, if you saw that he was the only one... Well, you're saying... It's so much drama and so little result. Exactly. And you have other similar ideologically oriented candidates. If you didn't have that choice, I could see where you'd stay with him. But my goodness, you have people who are going to enact the exact same policies as him. Why do you want the drama? Yeah, it's an interesting and question. And that's the pitch DeSantis is making. Yeah, DeSantis is uh, definitely making that pitch. And he has to walk, I think, a very careful line. He said the weaponization of federal law enforcement represents a mortal threat to free society. But at the same time, he uh, was careful not to bash Trump, not to support Trump. It'll be interesting to see where that goes. Uh, Senator Mike Lee uh, hasn't sent out a full statement, but yesterday he was tweeting saying that um, sitting president indicts leading challenger, totally normal, and then used a gif, gif? Which way do we say that? I never know. I'd say gif. Yeah, say it gif. was a gif uh, with like something that was supposed to be banana republicy. Uh, Chuck Grassley, we hear the same kind of things. DOJ indicts former president candidate Trump on the same day that DOJ FBI restricts access to unnecessarily redacted Biden allegations, and they wonder why people think there are two standards for justice. I, I'm going to take uh, yeah. issue with my good friend Mike Lee on this one. If I mean, Trump has admitted to having classified materials after he was no longer president at his residence. Okay, mm -hmm. so given those dynamics. There is something there. This isn't just Joe Biden. I'm no fan of Joe Biden, but this isn't just Joe Biden piling on Trump. Trump did some of this himself, brought some of this on himself because of his actions as he left office. Do you feel the same about President Biden now that he has um, documents that were found in his garage, well, in his office, in other places? I think there's problems there with Joe Biden. We need to understand what's going on, and we got to figure out. Okay, if we're going to have classified information, we got to make sure that the folks at the top are held just as accountable as those at the bottom. Before we um, move on from this, uh, Senator Romney did um, send out a long statement. It's kind of what you'd expect from him. And he said, like all Americans, Mr. Trump is entitled to the presumption of innocence. The government has the burden of proving its charges beyond a reasonable doubt and securing a unanimous verdict by a South Florida jury. But then he ends with, these allegations are serious and if proven would be consistent with his other actions of offensive to the national interest, such as withholding defensive weapons from Ukraine for political reasons and failing to defend the Capitol from violent attack and insurrection. So uh, no holds barred coming from Senator Romney. Uh, Chris Stewart came out with a statement not too long ago as well. I need my glasses to read this one. He says, these charges are equally unprecedented and unconscionable. This is a sad day for any American who believes in the rule of law. The National Archives have confirmed that every single president since Ronald Reagan has mishandled classified materials. There are clearly two standards of justice in our nation, one for people named Biden or Clinton and one for everything else. I stand with President Trump against this brazen weaponization of our legal system. So uh, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of in-between for 
people who are in the Utah congressional delegation and most others, people who are running for president against him are trying to figure out what side they're on. So interesting stuff. Mara, right. do you want to make and a call? And most of those candidates have to feel like they're defending him, regardless of what they personally think. Because they want, they, court, need his they want to court someday. his base. It's an important observation that some of the responses, obviously, many of the responses, take into account the political environment in general, and they have to map to that. And that, unfortunately, is what so many of us, I'll cl- include myself in it, so many of us do. You look at the broader picture. You're not just calling balls and strikes anymore. You're looking and saying, well, what team do I need to look aligned with? Yeah. If Mara had a crystal ball, how does this end? Wow, this ends muddled way too long from now. I, you know, I mean, I, I have a, a built-in bias about um, what I think is the honorability of Trump, and I do think this is a legit special counsel. I don't think he would have brought charges unless he felt like he could have a serious legal conversation, including what sounds like um, in Donald Trump's own words. And so I suspect that there is there there, but important, well, I don't know if it's more or less importantly, it's going to impact a couple things. One is just Donald Trump, his his legal position, but as we started talking before, it's going to take an enormous amount of impact on the American presidential elections in the next year and a half. So already I think that's the outcome that we know is going to happen, and the legal remedy is is months, if not years, down the road. Buckle up for an exhausting process. And well, we're getting distracted with the personalities rather than the bigger topic, which is how should classified information be handled, handled. by presidents and vice presidents. And if you had a crystal ball, how does this end in the book of John Dougal? This uh, drags out for years and years and years and kind of comes to a whimpering end, most likely. All right. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, One thing that we are paying very close attention to here in the great state of Utah, Congressman Chris Stewart um, has now set officially September 15th as his resignation date. And that turned a whole uh, ball into motion coming from the governor's office. It sounds like they were working together to figure out the right way forward in that we have municipal elections planned already. Now we have a special election. Uh, Mara, we're basically bumping the normal municipal election a little later, and then we're going to have a big primary earlier on. Do you see any problems with this, or is this a good solution with what we're doing? You know, I would have deliberated and taken longer um, and given particularly signature gathering and voting a chance. Having said that, there was a rock and a hard place. That um, it, If you bumped it too far into next year, if you went into March, March of next which, year. Which was the default position. Right, yeah. which has a ton of practical challenges, the least of which is you're asking someone to run consecutively for two offices, right? Because you would have you would have filed to run in the replacement election. You mm-hmm. also would have filed to run in the original 24 You would have just election. barely had the March 5th election as you were signing up for re-election. And yeah, so, exactly. I mean, every choice they had had complications. And um, you would have left a seat open for an extended period of time. Now, that is a Republican problem, not a voter problem. And from my seat, the one thing I will say when... when You would it, have been happy with one less Republican vote? I'm certainly okay with it. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, when we talk about not having that gap in representation, really what we're talking about is not having the safety net of the Republican votes. Now, right now, remember, the Democrats have a floating seat open in the House. So that's more gameplay, I think, than it is sort of true representation. I think they came to a pretty good compromise and did the best they could. If I were a municipal candidate, I'd be probably annoyed that I'm being asked to have my voters come out the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. But on the other hand, this will have so much hype and attention that, hey, maybe the municipal candidates will get a 
little boost from and, those in the second and city. And while the legislature hasn't passed this yet, and it'll be called right. a special That's session right. next week, my understanding is they're going to push what was a mid-August municipal primary into the beginning of September and then push the general election from that early Tuesday into, like you said, the Tuesday right before Thanksgiving for the general election. And I think most Utahns look and say, okay, that's a minor shifting, and it's going to save us, you know, one or two million dollars in the process. Great. Okay, let's let's do that, you know, instead yeah. of running a separate election with all the separate costs that go with yeah. it. Yeah, this being likely to be a very safe Republican seat. What is interesting is we are sitting here in June. Um, I can't even remember the date. June 9th. Yeah. And September fifth is likely when we are most likely going to elect the person who will therefore become our next member of Congress. That is fast. That is fast. And I don't really want to run for office, but if I ever were to do it, that's how I'd want to do it. Down, dirty, fast, get her done. Is this an announcement? It is. I actually would like to let you guys know that I'm running (laughs) under my new political party. It's called Hatch. (laughs) That's nice. Are you going to hatch a plan? I am going to, yes. For America. Um, I have to wait and see who else is running, and it seems to me that we had a list that was probably about almost two you'll, dozen you'll know last by Wednesday. We were talking. Yeah, so we have a deadline on Wednesday. Today we have a new candidate in in the Republican field, Alan Hatfield. And, Alan, I apologize. I don't know a lot about you, so I'm going to have to do some research. That does concern me for Alan, though, because at this point he only has – well, not even 90 days to get the word out, to get few, the backing. few weeks to get name ID for convention. Yeah. So uh, Greg Hughes uh, was, I think, the first one to file. Uh, Bruce Huff has filed. Becky Edwards and January Walker. Uh, going through the list, Greg Hughes, if you don't know, was the former uh, House Speaker here in Utah. Also ran for governor. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Huff, a former committeeman for uh, the Republicans. <laughs> Becky Edwards ran for Senate. And, and, and Bruce... Of fame is Derek and Julianne's Oh, yes, we father. can't leave that you know, out. Let's, yes. let's remember Dancing, Dancing with, with the, the stars. stars and everything else. Yes. So it'll be interesting. Maybe they'll campaign for him. Uh, Becky Edwards um, is in it to win it as well. And then January Walker, uh, United Utah Party, she ran um, in the last election. She said it wasn't her last, so she was true to her word. She's back at it again. Um, Amy Winder Newton did come out and say she won't be running. She was on the rumored list, uh, your former running mate. Uh, she says that she is going to stay where she thinks she's doing good work on the Salt Lake County Council and also working for the governor's office. So that leaves a few other people. And, Mr. Dougal, you said you know of other people. Are you going to let let it out of the bag, or are you going to hold the confidences of the people? Before John finishes, we should also say Kathleen yeah. Reby, the Democrat, has declared. Oh, yes, she has, as too. As has Ty Jensen, uh, who would be a Republican. Um, he was running for U.S. Senate in 2024, according to this, and he's also a declared candidate. Officially, Isn't there one other Democrat that's uh, floated his name? Yes, and I don't know if he's declared or not. Wasn't he the guy that, yeah, they got I'm, passed I'm, up last time. He yeah, and I'm not about sure it, if he's declared I don't declared think yet. they have because um, if you go on Twitter, because right now their website's not working where yeah. you can normally see declared candidates, just go to Vote Utah on Twitter and you can see um, who the latest are. And I don't even know if Reby's actually filed because the names that have been released by the state so far are only Republicans and January Walker of the United Utah yeah, Party. Yeah, I thought Reby had declared. If not, she will. I mean, she's, she's working And on she's it, a yeah. current um, Democratic state senator. Yeah, so, so we're watching um, that one closely. Do you want to tell us who you think's going so, to be jumping in? So the rumors I hear is uh, Jordan Hess, who's uh, vice chair for the state Republican Party, lives down in uh, Washington County. Uh, he will be coming up next week to sign up, is what I've heard. And I've heard Celeste Malloy uh, just resigned, effective today, because she plans to sign up next week. 
and she's a congressional staffer. Ah, for who? Um, Stewart. Stewart. Oh, okay. Yeah, and she's down in southern Utah. And then I've, I've heard rumors of some other person in southern Utah, but I haven't heard it from a good, credible source yet. So what John and I are both hearing when he says candidates from southern Utah. Now, remember, this is all via text, phone calls. This is This is the political class chattering at its best. So who knows? But um, there's a little bit of a running dialogue about do they want someone, does this district want someone who comes from southern Utah? Well, one lives in the district or not. Right. And two comes from southern Utah. Yeah. None of them thus far live in the district, do they? I don't think any of them do. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, Hess would have, I mean. Well, oh, no, I, the ones that have announced. Announced so far, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you look, you know, to a certain extent, southern Utah is somewhat tired of the Wasatch Front representing them and would love to have somebody from southern rural Utah. So here's my big challenge with Republicans making that assertion. Then why the hell did you draw your boundaries that way? Because as part of the rationale for this non-gerrymandering, I say cheekily, uh, was, oh, we really love this urban-rural divide. We'd love them to cover as much territory. They get all this perspective. So that was very intentionally the district's that your Republican leaders wanted you to have for all of those reasons. I don't know that you could make, if you lived in Washington County, I'm not sure you could make an urban-rural argument as it is a densely populated area. Um, I know they they think of themselves as rural, but they're actually not rural and they don't operate economically rurally. No, um, they, they would be much hotels, more hotels, Walmarts, <laughs> and chip cookies. Yeah, around. that's not yeah. where they're focused. I mean, they're yeah, your retirement plans. Are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it is an interesting conundrum as they sort of talk about who should represent them. I would remind them to have that discussion when they're drawing the boundaries. If what they want is similar clustered boundaries in terms of uh, how one lives, and if one lives in a suburban uh, lifestyle or an urban lifestyle, a rural lifestyle, that should have been taken into consideration when by drawing those boundaries. But if you look at the numbers on the Republican side, you're getting to the point where potentially that that corner, southwestern corner of the state, can control the district. That's right. Who gets elected? That's right. Because the numbers have shifted significantly with the growth of population down there. Yeah, and I think that their member of Congress would agree with that and and would give them their due as well. The interesting thing, too, is if you're looking at someone who maybe lives in southern Utah or rural Utah, for the practicalities of the job, too, it definitely is harder. It's easier if you live on the Wasatch Front because you're right. flying back and forth and back and forth. And if you still have a two or three hour commute or, a, you know, small town airport that you got to get yeah. another leg, it makes your job even harder, which stinks because you want to have people representing all parts of your state. But it certainly makes it harder for someone who doesn't live with easy access. It's hard in Western states in a way that I don't think many others. I mean, you know, every single time you go to a more dense part of America, aren't you struck that you can get to four other states in three hours where that gets you... Drive DC to Florida and the time it takes to get across our state. Yeah, and I, you know, it's it's true of Western states. It is interesting. Remember when they had to use a horse and buggy to get to the Capitol? That Mm. was hard work. That was super hard work. That was was after my time. That was before my time. I was, you know, yeah. All right, well, um, we're going to be watching that closely. Before we move on, though, the one thing that we haven't talked a ton about, a signature gathering, because the possibility at this point is what we're hearing is that the Republican Party would only let one out of the convention, which is coming up insanely soon. Is it June 24th? What June day? 24th is the date I'm hearing right now. Okay, so I that, don't think it's locked down, but 
you got to kind of wait for the legislature to change, and then everything can settle in once they make that change next week. So one person's going to get a golden ticket, so they'll end up on the primary ballot, but anyone else who's running has to get the signatures. And you, uh, we've talked about before how hard it is to get signatures because you can't just do it in one neighborhood. You've got to go spread it out through the counties. This is 7,000 validated Republicans that live in the district. Yeah. And whoever's first always wins because then you don't have to worry about the doubling up because sometimes someone will be right, like, oh, once I'll I sign, sign yours too. Yeah, and, and sometimes I forget and sign another, but the first one to file gets the signature. And you're okay. potentially talking 500 signatures per day to meet the tentative timeline. That is a lot. Let's start with our friend of the podcast, Greg Hughes. Uh, he has always gone uh, the convention system and believe that was his best route. Will that be his route this time, or does he know that he's got other competition and he's going to have to get signatures he's as well? He's already said he's doing convention only. Yeah. Convention only? If he doesn't go convention only, he loses a bunch yeah. of his supporters. Bruce Huff and Becky Edwards have already said they are gathering signatures. Becky has to. Yeah, I think Becky has Be- to. Becky doesn't have a path in convention. Right. Right. And Bruce Huff, from what I understand, um, he is should and will participate in I think they'll participate in the convention. But I also think he's going to buffer with some signature gathering is what they I hear. So how possible and easy, because you've done this at the Exoro group where you have mm-hmm. to do it. It costs money to get signatures. It takes time and mm-hmm. takes effort. Is it possible to get them done in time and make sure you have everything locked away? Yeah, the speed um, is super intense. It in terms of volume it's do- doable and then you enter on the cost. Uh, Utah, since SB 54, has developed two or three companies here that it's a little cottage industry. Prior to that, you'd always go to people outside the state, notably usually Florida or California. Um, So you have choices in signature gathering. Um, It's onerous here by intent, and it is going, and you have to over- um, you have to overgather. So what it's going to take is money. So what you're going to see pretty soon are some big singular checks being written to people if they want to go to Signature Gather. You're, you can't go get $10 from your friends in the timeline that's been given. You need one or two friends or your own pocketbook to chunk in. And you have to be starting now. You can't even wait till next week. you got to start now. Right now, which means you're also going to be just, this is a paid enterprise only. This is not, I mean, you can supplement a little with, but in the time that's given, it will have to be paid and it will be expensive because the signature gathering companies know that you don't have a lot of choices. Are there enough grassroots Democrats who are willing to sign up as Republicans to be in the primary that could help Becky Edwards out? Because it seems like she's had a pretty strong um, backing from some more centrist Utahns or um, Democrats hoping that maybe she'd be a little more centrist if she were elected. Could she do it grassroots and get Democrats to use this as their family home evening, get out there, get some signatures? I don't know. Yeah, the time for the grassroots conversation is probably not available to her. What she does have going for you is she her is that she recently ran, so she's probably still got her list loaded up. She's got her Excel spreadsheets. She's in the mode. She hasn't sort of gotten she, out of that she mode. Got, she got signatures when she ran for U.S. Senate. She did, and she got into this race. Yeah. I mean five minutes after we knew Stuart was out, which just tells me where her head is. And so I think, um, and she's she's done the math before when she ran in the Lee's race about where she could and couldn't get her voters from. So I think she is as prepared as any moderate Republican can be to really make a push for this. I would still have to say I handicapped this as a pretty red 
district. I think it's a, I think it's a really hard test for her, but I think she's got the tools that she needs and certainly um, the fundraising prowess and the mental strategy having just recently run that if there's a moderate who can do it, she can give it a go. I, I think it's a long shot though. My read is this is more red than the statewide race. I, and you saw the challenges she had against Senator Lee in that race. Good point, yeah. Um, you know, my son collected over 1,000 signatures for John Curtis the last time he collected signatures. And so I kind of saw the inside, how brutal that process was. Now, so you got to have I some good believe, walking shoes? I don't believe it. Yeah, definitely. And at that time, it was in the bad weather of early spring and other things like that. So, um, and plus a dad that doesn't do the signature thing, so I refused to sign it. Every day he'd ask, and every day I'd turn him down. But he worked hard to try and collect them, and he collected over a 1,000. Oh, that's so. wild. Dad wouldn't even help him. I know I have people come to my door all the time, but I don't sign because that's just not how I roll. I've got to watch it from the sidelines. So uh, it'll be but, interesting but to but watch that. But you're also that, yeah. talking about, you know, can Democrats sign up to vote? And Will the legislature I, I, make that rule up? Well, I think the legislature, in whatever changes they make, and I doubt they're going to look favorably of letting people at the last minute jump parties. So remember, so we we'll changed that after the Huntsman race. Um, there was there was a new uh, time period assessed to when you could change your party and not vote provisionally. Uh, you've already seen this forecasted in a couple of newspaper editorials about changing your party and a call to action in the old school Jim DeBacchus way, go make your vote yeah. relevant, vote uh, Republican. I do think that if you are interested in that, it is now because I would be shocked if next Wednesday's special session they shut doesn't include some instruction on when you can change your party affiliation. All right, so you've heard it here first. If you want to do that, get on it now. Anything else that we should expect them coming out of the legislative session that could change things for us, or is everything pretty buttoned up? I'm assuming it's probably pretty buttoned up of whatever they've got behind the scenes, ready to go. And you saw that within the confidence in which um, they declared the timeline already. And as John pointed out, it's technically not in place yet. It needs to be put in place on Wednesday. But the fact that you saw leadership, lieutenant governor's office, the executive, uh, the governor's office, all kind of come out with this universal timeline, we would expect no surprises and, next week. And that means they have a two-thirds vote because they needed yes. an immediate effective date on yeah. this, which means two-thirds in the House and two-thirds in the Senate. And the Democrats aren't. I mean, I listened to just an interview with Angelo Romero. I haven't heard the Democrats objecting to either the timeline or the process at all. And the interesting thing, too, we've talked a lot about mail-in ballots over the years, and I don't think they could pull this off the Tuesday before Thanksgiving if it were an in-person voting event because when you think about people when they leave the state or drive to Grandma's house or when they fly, I think expecting people to show up and vote that you know, a couple of days before Thanksgiving would be tricky. But when you have the ballot sitting on your counter and you have um, time vote, to vote, vote and you can mail, do it whenever, yeah. Early voting. Yeah, yeah. then yeah. you have options and it's not like your family vacation's tied up and you're like, well, I'm not going to vote this This time. is going to be a big deal because you got to suspect that the person who gets this is probably in for a while. It is true because yeah. once you have the seat, you probably hang on tight to it. Yeah. One thing that it could um, change things up with, too, there's not a huge amount of municipal races that are on my radar just yet, but Salt Lake City has one coming up. Mara, is this going to do anything to change things for them, or does it um, buy them a little more time? I don't know. If I were running, I'd be annoyed. But, uh, you know, you've had Rocky Anderson and Aaron Mendenhall, the incumbent, declare, goodness, like months ago. They've, yeah. they've all known what they're doing that race is going on. This municipal year is a big city municipal year. So as our listeners already know, municipal years are odd years. And 
not sort of for, informally, there's big city years and small city years. So this has big cities. The reason that that's relevant is if they're impacted, they probably have the infrastructure and the relationship with the county clerks already that they can do elections pretty forthwith. So I, it won't affect counting or anything. It's just whether a candidate is annoyed that they have to change their schedule and their mailing a little bit and maybe when the vote drops. At this point in the race, if we were running a race with them, our calendar would be tight enough that I would be annoyed that I would have to adjust all my mailing schedules, adjust all my social schedules, adjust all of my ballot dropping. So there is a consequence for the municipal people, but one, the legislature doesn't care, and two, they'll be fine. So I think we'll all just roll with it. <laughs> the thing that could be different in Salt Lake City, and I don't think it will be, is Ranked more Republicans yeah. coming out. It's it's ranked choice voting right. for Salt Lake City races, but it's you know, more Republicans are clearly going to vote because they would probably, Salt Lake City, just sit on their, their hands because mm -hmm. it's like, what's the point? I don't like either candidate. So could you have a Republican jump in the race? Possibly, but I'm not sure at this short notice yeah. if anybody really wants to bother and then then go through four years of probably hell with the city council. Yeah, and I, I'm not sure that I totally buy that. Um, Salt Lake City has actually a very good voter turnout history in terms of numbers, which means, my good friends, you good Republicans are electing liberals for your city government. Wow. So I don't know that we're going to get many more just because historically Salt Lake City does have a very pretty good voter turnout relative to municipal elections. And if there's any close races, good luck finding out when it is, because I guarantee oh you the counties are going to take their Thanksgiving holiday <laughs> and they're going to For stay sure. home and with their families and they're not going to be counting your ballots. So vote early. Don't vote often. Yeah. Enjoy <laughs> the holiday. We'll yes. all come and, back. And, for and watch for the audit procedures. Hey, yeah, while we're which, on are, the, which are new. That's exactly right. Yeah, that'll be interesting. While we're on the issue of Salt Lake City, uh, we had a councilman, councilwoman, I should say, Amy Fowler, who um, is stepping down because of um, legal trouble she's having. And now they have named how they're going to replace her. And this is an interesting one. I haven't even read about it. You guys brought this to my attention. So, Well, I mean, it's pretty standard for Salt Lake City. I just find it curious. Are they using duck, duck, goose? Yeah, they do. <laughs> exactly. Everybody puts their head Old down. Day. We're going <laughs> to yes. get the cards out. Come on. I mean, it feels a little like that to me. So what Salt Lake City ha uh, has adapted is that the council is who chooses well, the replacement. It's state law. So yeah. it's every city. This is what happened. And I like that your provision. I didn't know you did this, so I'm going to let you drop that. But it, it's so curious to me that they they get together, the council, the sitting council, has interviews. You you get a time period. It's been announced, actually. Um, I think it just started. I think all of it, if you're interested, now's your time to go submit your resume. You submit a resume to the council. Mm. They go through it, and then they do um, job interviews. And the council chooses who they want to serve with. Probably whoever and they're then a now, one of, the, of this process. one of the interesting things was when I was in the legislature, this was done behind closed doors. And they would interview the candidates and make their selection behind closed doors. And the public didn't get to see it. That's and sketchy. I, and it I just sketchy. thought, since this person is going to fill in for I don't know how long, it ought to be a public process. And so what happens is they have to interview them in process, in, in public all those candidates, they have to interview them. They can go behind closed doors to have some discussion, but they then have to vote in public on who they're going to choose. And so it brings some transparency mm -hmm. to what's taking place. I think accountability and transparency are good. And so we'll watch that play out. It'll be interesting to see who they pick there. Um, one last thing legislatively, we've had more than I'd like to count of road rage incidents lately. Just in the last week, we had a shooting from a motorcycle um, rider on I-15 near Layton. 
We had a sad case down in Eagle Mountain where there were two people driving in the same lane on a two-lane highway, and um, it ended up causing a crash that killed two innocent people that were just out for a Sunday drive in their Porsche. It was going on for, what, five, six miles or something? Yeah, for it was a long an extended ways. period of time. I've talked to some people, and they were watching it thinking, what the heck is going on? Which begs the question is what has happened to us as a people. I sometimes wonder if politics or everything else has just made us where we just feel like we have to fight and win on everything. But when I'm on the road, the last thing I want to do is fight with anyone. But the question is, do we just have to become a kinder, nicer people? Or is there something that we can do to put some teeth in the law legislatively to make sure that people say, I need to knock it off. I need to not try to shoot people while I'm driving. I need to... Not hit people, because obviously people are just snapping and this is happening, and you go, if you want to Facebook stalk them, they seem all like nice, normal people until they make bad decisions. So I always hate the add more laws. I mean, we've got laws about not shooting at people. We've got laws about not driving hazardously. We've got laws about not assaulting people. It's like maybe we need to put, pursue charges and, and penalties against folks for these kind of actions rather than let's create a new law for things that already exist that can protect it yeah i mean i think also it's harder than that we're over and over we're seeing the outcomes of underlying problems and i i i'm i would join in saying i don't think a new law would make a difference and i don't think penalties unless they're exorbitant and so therefore sometimes inhumane i don't think penalties actually make much of a difference um one interesting study I saw, saw was the one that Utah is higher than most states for road rates, that in recent studies, over 80% of us said absolutely we've engaged in some sort of road rage. Now, if 80% of us are admitting to it, that means well 100% of us have all felt it. But at what point does it become just you casually yelling at someone, which is mostly how I think it comes out, right? Uh, what are you doing? Um, to really becoming this harmful negative action. Now, we have done some proactive traffic laws that I thought was really were interesting. Um, if everyone would just Google the zipper merge, please, and just spend some time with your children on a zipper merge, if we would all just let one car go each time you're in a merge lane, we would be happy and fine, and we would all get out of the concert just so quickly. I thought you were going to go with lane filtering <laughs> with the motorcycles flying right in between so, you. No, I don't like those. But, I mean, I do think if we were going to look at laws, I would say... What do we put in driver's ed? What do we teach us to be better drivers so that that's not into place? But here's, I'm going, I'm going to go out on a limb here. And if anyone spends time with me, they know that this is my pet peeve. I am not, this is in the spirit of civility. So don't hear what I'm saying against civility. But I do think. I'm offended. I know, yeah. thank you. <laughs> I do think we've become more and more and more of our trademark passive aggressive. I think it's become so socially unacceptable to have what this podcast provides, to have really fun, interesting back and forth, to disagree with each other. We've avoided disagreement to the point in which I think we've bottled up some rage with each other in family units and social units. So I say to Utahns, why don't we try and be a little more nicely rude to each other instead of absolutely losing it at some periods. I think this forced um, Utah kindness sometimes doesn't allow a little bit of blowing off steam just now and then and sort of saying... Just not like, while you're driving. Don't hold it. But don't... Uh -huh. I think it's an outcome of 
just holding back so much whatever, frustration, anger. But I think this is more than Utah. I mean, taking away from road rage and go to rage on airplanes and other things like that and flight attendants being assaulted and so forth. It's just, uh, you know, I don't know what's going on post-COVID and other things like that. It just seems to be enhanced. And, you know, it's horrific for the families who have loved ones that are killed or injured, our public safety folks, you know, police and paramedics and firefighters that are out there responding. And it's responding. always the innocent it's just, people who are hurt or killed. It's never the person isn't who's Isn't that interesting? I, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, and so it's sad because... What, what do you do? I mean, what's your recommendation? Here, this is... Maybe I'm not the one to follow, but in life, I feel like I'm the kind of person who stands up to someone. I don't take your whatever. And But I feel like I'm the opposite on the road. I will defer to anyone. And I think if I accidentally pull in front of someone, I just wave and I'm sorry. If someone tries to With make... all eye fingers eye, extended. No, I, yes, all <laughs> fingers extended. I just... I am not, That's not aggressive on the road because... I just feel like it's dangerous. It scares me. Even if somebody's like trying to make eyes at you because they're mad at whatever you did. I mean, I screw up on the road like every, all other people. Sometimes you, you know, merge in too right. closely or do something. But the last thing I do is try to make eye contact or engage. And I always back off or try to get out of the way because I want to make it home alive. I've seen enough mm-hmm. of these things where it makes no sense. You know, I don't yell at people knowing that they can't hear me, but just like yell, I don't do anything like that because it just doesn't seem worth it to me. So mm-hmm. Can you believe you know. just cut me off? That's Heidi Hatch from Channel 2. I know, and exactly. they might see that Taking and know, them. and then I'll just be like, well, I'm sorry. Like, Because the thing is, is no one means to make mistakes. I think we all do it, but I think that at some point you have to be like, oh, crap, you know, they're sorry or whatever, and just back off. And if they're not sorry... What good does it do you to try to run them off the road or brake check them? You want to get mm-hmm. rear-ended? Like, what's brake checking? That makes no sense to me. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just tell everyone to take a chill pill at least while you're on the road. It's high-risk behavior for sure. Yeah, it makes no sense. And cars are big and they're fast and they're deadly. And I think mm-hmm. people forget because we drive a car every day, but they're not playthings. So no, not at all. Yeah. So. Uh, everyone, please behave. Um, we do have an exciting congressional race coming up. We are going to be following. Um, we want you to be alive to vote for it. Yes. One more thing I forgot to bring up, but I'm going to just yeah. mention it as we go. I do think the Supreme Court ruling this week in Alabama. Oh, yes. Is it going to happen here in Utah, too? Well, I just think it's interesting because I want to give. I, I've been critical of the Supreme Court. But I this do is about think redistricting, right? This is about redistricting. Um, they upheld, essentially, they, 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 they upheld seven, seven the congressional seats down there. One was drawn, if you will, quote-unquote, as a black seat. Yeah. In theory, uh, blacks represent, what is it, 26% of Alabama. Yeah. So in theory, they might have controlled two seats. And yeah. So essentially, it was a surprise, if you will, surprise in air quotes, because, and I'm going to put conservative in air quotes as well, two conservative justice, Chief Justice wrote the decision, Kavanaugh joined and I'm going to put in air quotes, the liberals. The reason that's all in air quotes is that I think we pundits and in the media are the ones that are affixing these positions. We say, oh, the, this president appointed them, and this is how they're going to rule on that, despite the fact that there is no historical evidence that that's actually how justices. Justices have judicial points of view and whether they're an originalist or not, and that predicts or encourages what and how they'll rule on things. This is a really good example. I think it's a light moment of redemption for the court to do something unexpected. Now, um, regardless of how they went on it, I felt like we were getting really predetermined about what a conservative quote justice would do or what a liberal quote justice did. And essentially, if you read through the ruling, they they adhered to the law, which is what their um, what their goal is. But it was a it was a surprise decision in that 
you saw a coalition come together of of you know three justices who are considered liberal. Two well, one of the interesting dynamics is Clarence Thomas, right. one of the African Americans on the court, right. wrote a scathing dissent because right. he basically was saying this doesn't eradicate racism; this entrenches it right. and stuff. So it's an interesting dynamic yeah. that we Which will has long see this continue. Point of view about the voting exactly, rights act. Yeah. Yeah. This will continue to play out over, I anticipate, several decades. But it's a pivotal case, and there are a couple of dozen related in lower courts that have the same dimension in society, as you pointed out. We have one as well. And we have lots of Supreme Court rulings that will be coming out over the next few weeks. Yeah, this it's is crunch the, time. Season, yes. the season of the Supreme Court. This is Folks the season. Folks ask, why is it so late? You know, I used to joke in the legislature when they said, why do you only do the big things at the end? Because we can't do them any later. <laughs> well, and That's definitionally, kind of the dynamic at the court when the season ends at the end of June. Yeah, and definitely everything the court's ruling on is a big stinking deal. Yeah, so we're going to be watching that closely. It'll be interesting to see because um, when you talk about redistricting, people here in Utah are worried about it in the same way that some of the East Coast states are worried about it for opposite decisions. Uh, why do people redistrict to, um, you know, favor Republicans or Democrats? Because they can. Why do right. dogs lick themselves? Because they can. Because they can. Yes, so... Let's end this podcast with that beautiful picture oh, wow. in your mind. Something to think about on this sunny you are, weekend. You are going to post a picture of your dog, aren't you? With I the have podcast. not. I have definitely not. <laughs> Thanks for being with us this week, though. Um, Oscar, is that what it is? Oscar Sneaky, Sneaky Beans. Beans. Yes. Thanks for being with us. Have a great week, and we will be back next week. Sorry, 